You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field, and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights, and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. I'm Georgia Hart, Principal Consultant at Middleton Executive and your guest host. I'm passionate about all things product and tech and can't wait to explore some amazing topics with Australia's top product leaders. Welcome to the Product Edge, Pearly. I can't wait to discuss women in product with you, but before we do, can you give us an overview of your experience to date? Absolutely. So my name is Pearly Yee. I've been in product for um, about a decade at the moment. Uh, I'm, I've been very focused on very content-driven industries in particular, um, which kind of follows my career trajectory from um, doing a law degree through to publishing and media. So um, I, I love thinking about how to um, create products that really shine a light on quality content and how you kind of create business models that uh, uh, really address disruption uh, and uh, really helps quality content creators as well um, uh, make a living and that's something they love to do. Amazing. And there's no question that tech has a diversity problem and this goes far deeper than a pipeline issue. Um, We simply can't focus on getting more girls into STEM subjects or teaching them to code. We also need to be paying attention to increasing the participation and retention rates of women in the workforce. So from your perspective, what's it like being a woman in product? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think uh, at this point in time, you can see that that there are challenges for women in every industry uh, <laughs> across. Um, so it's certainly um, not unique for women in product, women in, in product industry, but um, I think it's reflected in the industry. And certainly, being in the, uh, in digital product management um, and tech product management, there are also um, the 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 challenges you face in being in an industry that is also still very male dominated. Um, and still does have a lot of the biases that you'll see in in other industries as well. Um, often, I think what that can mean is that uh, for a lot of women, and obviously I can only speak from my experience, uh, and there will be some grand generalizations. Um, there can be a sense that there are you know that those extra challenges from time to time to to really succeed in a product role, um, particularly where things aren't necessarily structured in your favor. Um, where um, certain, certain, I guess, biases can can creep up, um, which can really feed into, um, I think, that just, you know, that general sense of um, imposter syndrome within the tech industry because you are not the norm necessarily. Um, and uh, it's something that you definitely have to work through from time to time, particularly as you go through that, your career ladder, I think, in, in product management. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I love that you touched on those biases there and some of the challenges that you face as a woman in product. How do you think we can overcome these challenges? I think talking about it is, is a really good starting point, uh, so which is why I love how we're doing this. <laughs> I'm all overly comfortable with doing it, but I do it because I think it's really important to have that conversation. Um, 
and I think it's a it's it starts with um, acknowledging that uh, there are there are challenges to uh, being a woman in product that there may not be um, for others in the industry, and you know that goes for any other um, uh, you know any other p- uh, population that is not the norm or the the majority. So you know, as an as an Asian female as well. There are challenges um, that everyone faces, I think, in terms of um, uh, working in a particular industry. Um, but I think it starts with acknowledging that. So one of the things that I've been looking into is just how the how that bias can kind of manifest in terms of how you work within your teams, the products you build, the products you use as well. Um, and that helps to understand that um, for the starting point of thinking about uh, and realising that a lot of the challenges are not because of your own kind of uh, limitations, I suppose, within within what you're doing, but actually realising and acknowledging that a lot of the systems and a lot of the technologies and products that are being built actually haven't been built necessarily with you in mind, if that makes sense. So I've been reading this great book called um, Invisible Women, um, it's about exposing the data bias in um, in the world by Caroline Criada Perez, and it's an incredible book. I highly recommend it because it really unveils the the biases you see in the data around the world that's being used to fuel product development um, and some of the greatest products that are coming out. So, um, you know, we're living in a data driven world. We're, we're looking more in technologies like um, uh, that are being driven by AI and a lot of and a lot of data. And you start to realise that a lot of that data skews towards a particular um, a default population, as what I suppose, which means that um, you, your experience with the product won't be the same, <laughs> basically, as you know, someone who might be um, a you know a white male that is experiencing it. Um, I think a lot of women feel limited by feeling they're not technical, for example. Within, within the role or not technical enough and you kind of hide behind that. But I think if you realise that actually a lot of these products weren't built for you in the first place, um, it's not that you're not technical, um, it's that they weren't built with you necessarily in mind and how you work. Um, I think that can be a really beneficial starting point. So to give you an example, um, when we all went into lockdown um, last year and everyone started jumping on Zoom calls, for example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of, um, we started, everyone started playing around with Zoom background, which was a really fun way for everyone to, to engage, I think, and have that, um, uh, a playfulness to our meetings. Um, and, you know, people upload photos and uh, there'd be all sorts of running jokes. Um I actually have, so I have a scar above my left eyebrow, which uh, my left eye, which not a lot of people know about, uh, which actually meant that when I would put on a Zoom background in the early days, it's been fixed now, I would actually turn invisible because oh, really? <laughs> yes, I would literally turn invisible into the background because it obviously couldn't pick up the normal dimensions of, of my face. Um, against what it could recognize and so and to kind of cut out uh I guess my figure into <laughs> the top of the background similarly if you think about things like voice recognition um you know other products like virtual reality um so voice recognition is a really interesting one where most of the data it picks up has been through um male voices in their database 
So I have a really complicated relationship with my Siri, for example. Um, and <laughs> it's about, uh, and I realized if you kind of lower the octave of your voice, it works a little better because it's 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 been built on data that's been built, I suppose, um, on a, a greater back catalog of uh, male voices. Um, same with a lot of facial uh, facial recognition is is another perfect example. So. Um, just educating yourself on that and realizing that um, Invisible Women, I can't recommend that book enough. There's another great uh, Netflix documentary called Coded Bias, which goes through a lot of that bias around facial recognition um, and realizing that there was actually a lot of work that had to be done in the last few years to really improve that technology because it wasn't recognizing women or a lot of people of color um, in, in a lot of um, that, the facial recognition advancements that were being made. And it took it took someone um, who was a woman of colour um, in the MIT labs um, who tried to use this technology and realised it did not recognise her face at all mm-hmm. um, to call it out with some of the largest companies in the world and say your, your algorithms are not working um, for a vast majority of the population. So, um, yeah, sort of realising it's it's my long-winded way of saying it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of this stereotype of... You know, a lot of partner managers being really kind of, you know, the first to hold on to grab a piece of technology and play with it and, um, you know, unpack it and, and know everything about it. Um, and that is true. You, you want to be curious and you you, you want to be able to delve into and find out what's, what's out in market. Um, but, you know, it's also not conditioned to bring you in and draw you in necessarily and capture you because it hasn't been developed with you, with you in mind. Um, so that's kind of my, I guess, my way of thinking in terms of overcoming, I think, some of, some of that, um, some of the, you know, just the general imposter syndrome that can, I think can, can pop up for, for a lot of people that, uh, that are trying to work in, in product um, and also the products that you build as well. So, um, yeah, thinking about the, how you kind of, the, when you are thinking of the data sets and, and what you are building, how you are not acknowledging the bias that you also have um, in all of that. I have my own biases as from my own experience, everyone does. So um, just acknowledging and, and realising that it exists, I think, is, is um, a big starting point um, and sharing that with other people. So, you know, connecting with other women product, I think, is really helpful. Um, and men as well who are really passionate about um, uh, lifting the level of diversity um, within the industry um, because it builds better companies, more robust companies, um, more successful companies and more successful products as well. That was really <laughs> a long <laughs> I have the questions. So. No, I love it. And I love that you touched on the biases there because the first thing that came to my head was I have my own biases and I'm sure everybody does. And it must be hard to step away from that and take yourself out of your own shoes and put yourself in thousands of other people's shoes and trying to think of things from different perspectives must be quite a challenging thing to have to do. And that's why I think the product space is so interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you you are developing products, you are not necessarily the customer mm-hmm. um, in any way. And it's always good to have a really good sense of who you, obviously who your customer is. Um, and, but then also realizing how you might be feeding your own biases into that customer's perspective experience, um, 
what they're looking to sell, what they'll find as a cool or great um, kind of, you know, um, experience or, uh, you know, feature. Um, uh, yeah, kind of just acknowledging that and being able to kind of step back and, and look a bit more objectively at the information you have in ha- at hand um, for what you're, what you're building for. I've worked with a lot of products that, um, uh, you know, try to uh, zero in on a, a particular persona or segment um, and they're often trying to diversify. Um, into new markets because they acknowledge that um, it's obviously f- women make up fifty percent of the population. So <laughs> there's something there to uh, building products that cater to them, uh, and their economic power is only increasing as as we go on. Um, but there are certain limitations, I think, that um, they're able to do in moving it in that way because it does require a change in thinking um, and an, a change in how you approach and communicate and. Um, you know, build those products that work with how with how um, women are experiencing their day day to day lives. So, um, I've seen it's been challenging, I think, for a lot of companies to um, and products to make that leap in a, into a new segment or um, to address women's needs um, because it's so entrenched in their their current models and markets and how they operate. Um, that still tends to look at that primary segment. Um, as being, um, you know, of a, a default, what um, you know, Carolina, Caroline would describe as a the default kind of customer or persona, which is um, uh, your male, your white male, basically. That mm-hmm. that most of a, a lot of product development has to date been built for. Yeah, yeah, no, awesome. And look, I read a report recently that said that women still earn twenty percent less than males in IT jobs, and which still baffles me. But how do we balance that out? Um, a lot of this again uh, comes back to cultural change within an organisation, um, and unless you are acknowledging and calling it out from the top down in terms of the culture you want to have and addressing it, it can be really challenging to 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 I think uh, reduce that. Um, disparity um, uh, with salaries. So, you know, environments that really foster open transparency mm-hmm. around, you know, earnings and what people are on, um, uh, I think can really help to um, make it a lot um, a lot easier, basically, for people to see objectively what people are on and why the, those disparities um, may be there. Um, so, again, it's, the more information people have, the more power they'll have to be able to negotiate a similar salary. I think it is on um, a lot of people in, you know, on boards and, and running those companies to to acknowledge um, where there might be those disparities um, in, in earning potential um, and to provide those, the, the flexibilities and being open about flexibilities for everyone. So, you know, a lot of the um, justifications for the disparities come from, you know, flexibilities in work, work that is being enabled for, you know, mothers or fathers or, you know, people that go through particular life stages as well um, or expected to go through particular life stages. So, again, it's a system of cultural change to acknowledge that and say, well, actually, you know, uh, both men and women need that flexibility um, and will be going through those life changes and they should have equal opportunity to access, um, you know, whether it's parental leave uh, or other flexibility, flexible arrangements, which also means that, um, you know, both men and women can enjoy the life stages um, that we go through, whether it's, um, you know, having children or um, and wanting that flex- 
to be able to spend that time with them um, and having that equal share um, at home and and um, in in the workplace. Um, there's some great companies that have really started pushing that um, and insisting on this equal kind of um, parental leave, whether you are the mother or the father. Um, and that gives people a lot more options to do what works for them rather than to have to align to how the system has been set up, basically. Yeah, and that kind of touches on my next question of, you know, we know a lot of women do leave the workforce to start families, but do you think that companies offer enough to track them back and retain them and look at things like upskilling, reskilling, um, promoting them back into their roles or if not even more senior positions um, once they're coming back into work? Uh, I have, I think companies could always do more um, to, to help women in returning to work, I think it's it does require um, obviously resourcing and thinking about it when you're thinking about um, how do you bring someone back in. Um, so you know, as someone who has managed teams before, thinking about how you uh, you make that transition back into, or someone within your team makes that transition back into work, mm-hmm. um, and making it as easy as possible to to do that. Um, I think that. Companies kind of uh, and teams um, uh, do kind of need to be really open about um, what is possible and pushing that. And I say that as someone, by the way, who um, probably has found it found it really challenging to figure out how you do that in, in a product management role. Um, you can really buy into a lot of the rhetoric out there or a lot of the sentiment out there um, that talks about, you know, it, it, it's a it's a 60-hour work week for a product manager. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, that's a and the amount of work that goes into being uh, being able to create successful products where you are across so many different things, um, you know, from business goals and the financials through to customer through to the marketing and experience and product development and the technology um, and making sure it all gets out the door. Um, it is a big job and I've certainly had to I've certainly um, need to needed to reevaluate um, my biases around that that thought that to be successful in the job you need to be on it you know six, at least 60 hours a week um, because that's probably not helping <laughs> the situation much um, and so thinking a bit um, more pragmatically about how you make it a sustainable role for people um, and particularly for people that uh, are going through particular life stages and that need that flexibility is really, I think, is, is really important. Um, and acknowledging that we do in the industry and in, within product management tend to per- per- perpetuate that idea of busyness, I think, a lot mm. um, as needed to, to build successful products. Um, and, yeah, we need to address that. So do you think that affects female nutrition? Because we believe that it's along the lines of 41% of women compared to 17% of men. Do you see this in the industry? Absolutely. I think that there's uh, so much talent out there and you see so many incredible um, women in product that that build incredible things um, and uh, are great at it, right? Like when you think about a lot of the behaviours that go to being a great product manager, um, they are again, <laughs> generalizations. Um, I think characteristics that a lot of women hold. So, you know, the ability to, to make things happen and um, uh, make sure that you are um, listening to customers, having a high level of empathy, 
um, really strong soft skills, um, uh, you know, that, that let you relate to a really diverse set of stakeholders um, to not to be able to make a difference that, uh, you know, we talk about a lot about not having the official authority often as product managers, um, but the ability to influence. Um, and I think that that is a notion that um, a lot of women have probably had ingrained for a while in terms of um, not having that official authority um, or even that natural authority um, to, to make things happen. So you, you get quite good at um, working through that. Um, so when you see those strengths in, in, in uh, a lot of women that, that do those roles, they know how to work with diverse stakeholders. That can often tip into, I think, um, uh, and really want to do a good job. It takes a lot of, yeah, that can tip into um, over-investing, I think, a lot um, and uh, spending a lot of time building those relations with people um, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're things that, and because a lot of it re- relies on those relations with your stakeholders, um, people often underestimate how much time that takes. You know, the coffee catch-ups to, to see how you get, people are going. It's often the side conversations where you figure out what people's actual, you know, when you kind of drill into it, sometimes the most effective part of a meeting is, for, I find, is the end of a meeting or <laughs> before it starts. You know, everyone goes through the agenda, people kind of talk about, you know, safety lines here and there, and then the meeting ends, you go, and that's where you find out what's really bugging that person mm-hmm. or what's really got, got their goat that day um, that's happening that it might be impacting their decisions on, on that particular day. Um, and a lot of that gets that time gets clamped down um, or is not as available to you. Uh, for example, once you do become a parent, um, you know, the, the after work drinks, the coffees, all of those kinds of things um, can really, I think, um, and finding strategies or ways to work with that, I think is really important for them to be able to stay in, in, um, in, in the roles and feel that it is sustainable for them to do that and to be a parent as well. Um, yeah, so I think it's, there are, there, I mean, there's so many layers to it, right? There is structurally you're being supported really um, to be able to think more flexibly how, about how to do the role and be successful in it. Uh, is it clear, you know, what is expected? And again, as a people manager, there's so much I have to learn in this space about having that clarity of expectations for for people so um, they know what they need to do to be successful in the role, um, regardless of the hours they're putting into it. There's so much ambiguity sometimes um, in, in product management in terms of um, what and what good looks like. Uh, and so being able to work through that, I think, helps um, both men and women be, be better at the role um, and, and stay for longer. Um, and, you know, it is looking at things like can you do, how do we, how do you kind of carve up your role in ways that can give you a bit more flexibility as well and make that clearer um, with people you, you work with? It's, I think that the dynamics often of, um, you know, we talk about product managers and product owners and all sorts of things. And I think sometimes a lot of the, um, you know, those roles come out of and having two people in those roles can can be beneficial because um, it it's kind of a, it needs to be quite a very close relationship, obviously. But it, there, that is an example, I think, of where you can think about ways to make the um, product role a bit more sustainable for people um, as they go through um, and need more flexibility 
um, from from time to time. And I think hopefully that will stop a lot of that burnout that can happen um, within roles um, and keep people in there for longer. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope so. And and something that we found out recently was that um, the Workplace Gender Equality Agency Director, Libby Lyons, um, she says that data shows that 6% of managerial roles are worked part-time and with women working part-time at three times the rate of men, which is clearly a key issue. And I think something that maybe leads into us seeing why there's, you know, a shortage of amazing female leaders in product. Um, there's definitely some, you know, fantastic people out there, yet very few hold CPO roles. And that's something that I think really needs to be addressed. And I'd love to hear from your perspective how we do address that. Um, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> With a long answer, I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh it, it, there's so many layers layers to it again so um how do we get more more women in senior senior roles and cpo roles um it, again it, it starts from the top as well i think um as well as um people actually speaking out speaking and discussing it more within within uh the industry i mean any executive role is really tough and then and it, it, there's a lot of pressures on you as, to be able to obviously deliver for the for the business um, and to support growing teams um, and people within your teams. There would need to be a change in how we think about what a successful um, person or CPO looks like um, and what is really stopping them from getting to those CPO level roles. Um, you know, it's not that people um, go through, like I don't believe in linear paths necessarily. People go through life stages um, and there should be no reason really why, um, you know, CPOs, um, even if it, you do take a few years out to um, be able to, um, uh, you know, have a family or, um, you know, check some other things off your list. Um, it should really just mean then that you may be slightly older when you come back into the role, but that should still be very possible for you to, to do that. So there is a lot of pressure on, on, on female CPOs, um, or a lot of females generally speaking in going up that ladder. Um, I think there is certain expectations that aren't there from soft skills or, you know, that, that notion that um, not only do you have to obviously be uh, strategic and um, working for the business, but this notion that you're expected to be kinder or nurturing um, without without being perceived as weak, basically, um, I think is is really important. Um, and being able to kind of be, call those things out, I know certainly as you know as you go through and you, you get into those middle management ranks, you know the feedback you can get can be um, a lot to take in. Um, you know, within a week, for example, I could have. Um, you know, uh, feedback about a, a female manager um, regarding them as um, yeah, their management style as mother henny, um, you know, and in the same week have feedback from uh, someone in my team that, you know, there is an expectation of me that I would be nurturing them or nurturing their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, while at the same time, obviously, your business, the business is going, uh, and we also need you to uh, deliver X, Y, Z. Now, I don't know what the male equivalent is uh, of um, Mother Henning as a management style. <laughs> if anyone has any thoughts on that, let me know. 
And I don't, I'm not, I'd be interested to hear, you know, if men are also having that expectation on them uh, of, of having to nurture, that nurture their teams in the same ways or having those expectations. Um, you know, the business is expecting you to be, um, uh, to get things done and be effective. Um, but I think sometimes there is a, a double standard that can exist and scrutiny that can exist um, for, for women as they move through, the, through, the, through those ranks. Um, you know, that gets outlined as well in, in, in Invisible Women where, you know, the, you, there has been heaps of studies done which show that, you know, you could have um, the exact same uh, kind of management styles presented um, by men and women um, and where, uh, you know, men will be perceived as strong leaders because of it. Um, women will be criticised more as being, um, uh, I guess, you know, bitchy, bossy, um, and on the flip side, we talk a lot about um, now in the industry and with leaders in general about having greater adaptive skills and soft skills. So having that empathy, um, you know, really trying to create an environment that promotes and encourages and empowers your teams. Um, and again, you know, the data will show that men will be perceived quite positively for um, uh, uh, having those characteristics. Um, and seen as strengths, and women for women it'll be seen as a sign of weakness, um, of being too soft, of not being able to um, get things done in the same way. Um, uh, so there is certainly um, a lot of still a lot of bias I think that we have to work through and acknowledge um, when it comes to how we we work and interact and the expectations we have of of women in in leadership and you know the people that say that have this feedback uh, that give you this feedback right are fantastic people they're no one they you know, <laughs> no one's going out and um you know the people that it would absolutely advocate and if you were to address it uh with each of them and, and ask that question you'd have a great conversation with them about it um but it's the impact of receiving a lot of those micro comments i think um on a daily or a weekly that i think a lot of women leaders are, are having to work through and, and deal with when you are starting to manage teams and manage people and, and you're managing, um, uh, you know, um, uh, the business and its stakeholders um, as well. So, um, I th yeah, it's the flip side of being a really great product manager and having those soft skills and empathy is if you, if you don't uh, kind of, if you push it too far, it can, you can let it affect you too much, mm -hmm. I think. And that can start to become overwhelming very easily. And then add on to all the other stuff you have to do. As a <laughs> that was huge. Yeah. And I guess on that subject then, you know, I'm all for empowering women to achieve their full, their full potential. What can women in product do to ensure that they're thriving in product? Read up about it. Talk to other women about it in the industry. There's some great organisations and um, groups or um, and content out there. So, um, you know, Product Women is is one of them. Um, it's Women in Tech. There's a bunch of um, places where you can go and and um, you'll find people that are having the same challenges mm -hmm. um, as you um, that they're working through. Um, I think that helps to realize again, it's not you. <laughs> it's just stuff to work through. <laughs> and you know, again. Making change is hard. It's a journey. It takes a while, um, but know that you're heading in the right direction in trying to into trying to shift those those biases. Um, it is it is 
Um, it is hard to do because um, I think often as well, uh, women who there has been, there can be standards for our, uh, and biases that can also um, pop up for women who do speak out about it. Um, and do, you start to see that reflected in, in how they recruit, um, in how they kind of, you know, recruit and things like that. It's interesting. I was talking to a, a colleague, uh, an old colleague, a friend who was, um, uh, had been picked, I guess, for, um, uh, in this case, um, because they, they uh, were from a more diverse background um, to do a particular task or to, and to work with, um, uh, it, it was to actually interview someone um, who had requested someone of, of colour. Mm, or of color. And this person really took quite, like, took really, they, they had worked their whole careers to try and not be seen as a person of color. Mm-hmm. Found it really to, to, you know, kind of take that equation out of it and found it really confronting to, to um, be kind of asked, um, even though it was a request of the person that wanted to, to be interviewed. Um, and it was something where, uh, as we talked through it, um, and I, I was all, I was like, go for it, you know, use, use it to your advantage, it, <laughs> take the opportunity. Um, and it was really interesting because when we spoke, this person was advocating actually in the way they would have actions and the way they thought about their work, mm-hmm. uh, recruiting, um, interviewing, all sorts of things um, to increase the diversity being represented in what they did. Um, but they didn't necessarily want it uh realized it was almost like their little they wanted to they didn't want it out in the open and that's what they were doing because then it suddenly threw shade on it to kind of be like well that's your agenda um and so and uh you know rather than thinking about um and feeling that would actually limit them in being able to move shift that um, push for that agenda um because people start to wonder why you're making decisions or um, moving things in a particular way and whether it's for the actual um, and whether it lines really with 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 what you're trying to do, um, so sometimes I think you can run the risk of trying to um, uh, uh, I don't know how to say this the right way, but um, you run the risk of um, drawing attention to yourself almost in doing that. Um, I mean, I'm at a point now, to be honest, <laughs> like, well, um, I think it needs to be kind of drawn mm-hmm. out a little bit more and discussed. Um, but I certainly understand some of the concerns that a lot of people have in in almost making it obvious, I guess, um, within industries that you are different um, and that you want to see more of that difference. Um, I think it'd be seen as self-serving sometimes. And so um, I think that can stop you sometimes from, from pushing harder for that agenda in, in some ways in, in the push to, to kind of move up that ladder or, or, or progress. Um, oh, God, I think I've, I've gone away from your question again, Georgia. No, great. I'm loving hearing your perspective on everything. And I think it's important for, you know, for us to discuss these topics and continue talking about them because that's only going to be how things get better and, Absolutely. you know, it, it you know, bridges that gap. And you know, like I, 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 but I'm, I'm. I do also want to say that I have had so many great successes in my career because I've had incredible uh, women managers and mm-hmm. and male managers too that have kind of 
that have, you know, um, I've, I think I've been really fortunate and I think it's really important to be able to try and pay that forward as much as possible. Um, but, yeah, yeah, there is also that element of um, not overthinking it too much, which I probably do, <laughs> probably, <laughs> um, probably do from time to time. But, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, again, I think a lot of the limitations are ones that um, do come out and are harder to call out because they are biases rather than hard facts you can draw from that are limiting um, a lot of people from advancing. And I think that's basically what, what I, would, I would say or call out. Um, with a lot of this stuff, it's, it's, um, it's, it's why things like um, delving to that information or data is so important because it, it is harder to, um, uh, to call, out, call out, you know. It's, again, it will happen to you. There are a lot of things that will happen that show people's biases, but they're small, right? But it's the accumulation of all of those things um, that impact you. So um, for every individual, and that's tiring for people to have mm-hmm. to call it out each time, but it's the overall impact of them happening for a bunch of people that don't have no ill intentions at all um, that start to build um, and affect people's ability to feel like they can be effective, I think, um, in in very high-profile, high-pressured roles, um, which, which um, you know, being a CPO absolutely, absolutely is. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you touched on earlier that, you know, it's important for people to speak up and talk to each other and find peers or mentors or whoever it might be, a friend, a colleague, someone that you look up to in the industry to talk through how their experiences and share what you're going through and just, I guess, get that support from whoever it might be. And it's fantastic that there are so many people out there that are willing to mentor and help and coach which I think is really really awesome yeah absolutely absolutely yeah we're not alone you know also you know get the men involved to, to mm-hmm. champion that change to sponsor a people um, to bring that diversity in um, within companies as well um, I think is is also really important. Um, so if everyone kind of realizes that it's there um, and we can elevate that conversation, um, I think everyone wins. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Pali, it's been so great talking to you today. Um, thank you for sharing all your insights and experiences with us. How can people stay connected with you? Uh, the best place is probably just to connect on LinkedIn, Pearly E on, on LinkedIn. Um, uh, yeah, and, and and reach out through there. Lovely. And, and what would be your last piece of advice or one special piece of advice for people um, in product? Just keep going. Persist and progress is my new mantra at the moment. And whenever you're trying to improve anything, whether it's your, your product or a culture, um, a system, it takes time. But as long as you know what your goals are and you're heading in the right direction, um, uh, you, you know, you will get there um, and find people that um, support that mission that you're on um, to kind of, to, to kind of, um, to be there with you, to support you um, as you would for them, really. Um, yeah. And yeah, don't, don't, 
don't be afraid to make change and know that it takes time. Don't feel disheartened. Um, Take breaks when you need to, (laughs) as long as you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, look, thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Product Edge, brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.